0: Great. So, um, as you will have heard, and if you were here last week, you will perhaps remember, we have started a journey for a few weeks as a church together. We're kind of traveling through one of the Bible's books, the book of Exodus from the Old Testament. And this book that uh, we can look at on page uh, 59, if you'd like to turn up one of the Bibles nearby, page 59, uh, tells us. Um, The story of the kind of foundation of the Israelite community is the people who who came to know God and trusted him um, as uh, 400 years after the kind of first wave of activity, as it were, uh, last uh, in the book of Genesis, previously you may recall, we were looking at the story of Joseph and how he got to know God and how um, God worked in his life and how the people His family, his uh, 11 brothers and his dad and all of their relatives came to Egypt. That was about 400 years ago. Um, Now, as we saw last week, God's people are there 400 years later with a story of this God who'd appeared to their uh, ancestors a memory perhaps, perhaps an awareness that God had promised way, way back that he would be with them in Egypt and that he would rescue them or or get them back to the, the land that he promised them. And As we saw last week, they're hanging on there. They're being loyal to him. They're trusting him and taking action. That's what faith is, we saw. Whether it's in their daily work like the midwives in that first chapter who honored God rather than the government when they were called to um, uh, get rid of all the male children uh, that were being born. Or whether it was in the life of a family, a regular family like Moses' family who do a wild thing and find that God kind of keeps their their little boys safe. And uh, we saw that Moses grew up last week in the kind of royal household or the wider royal kind of community of Pharaoh in Egypt. And then we saw how Moses had attempted to make a difference for the Israelites, but it had all gone really wrong. But we can also, and we saw last week, this is where the story ended, God is not blind to it. He knows and he cares. Look at verse 23 at the top of the second column of page 59. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out. And their cry for help, because of their slavery, went up to God. God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. And as Tim uh, reminded us, we saw, and if we we read on through chapter 3, that it's been uh, a while and Moses is now in the desert. Forty years, the book of Acts tells us, that it was before this fa- he entered this phase of his life. He's a shepherd working for his uh, Midianite uh, father-in-law. And now God is going to move from being a memory in the background to rescuing his people. How's God going to make his move? That's going to involve Moses himself. Like the Israelites, the Israelites will be getting to know God. So Moses is going to first get to know God. And all of that starts one day in what the authorized version calls the backside of the desert. I love that description. In the AV, it means the far side of the desert. I don't know what it was like, but it doesn't sound that great. But anyway, especially not in the AV. But that's where he was. On the far side of the desert, looking after the sheep. It's a normal day. And uh, Tim kind of read the passage, so that's great because we don't need to. But you can keep your eyes if you want to, uh, down on chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. Moses is with his sheep, as we heard. It's a normal day, away from home. Or maybe he's out there camping with his sons, looking after the sheep. And there's this bush on fire, but it's not burning. The fire is keeping itself going. But the bush is not going anywhere. And that's strange. Uh, Have you ever ever tried uh, sending fire to a dry bush? I don't recommend it. I did try once. The nearest I came to it was... We had a Christmas tree. And, you know, like you have a Christmas tree, it was in the garden for about six, seven, eight months. And um, uh, this was in Warwick. And I thought one day maybe I should set this Christmas tree on fire well it was as dry as anything I put a match and the whole thing nearly I burnt my eyebrows off practically because the whole thing went like that and that's what happens with dry bushes when they catch fire and maybe Moses had seen that kind of thing before but this time the fire was kind of not feeding off the bush that was burning the fire was kind of in the bush but not kind of of it if you see what I mean no wonder he thinks, that's unusual. And the angel of the Lord, it says, appears to him. What's that? Well, when we read on through these verses, the angel of the Lord is also referred to as God. Uh, the angel, there's this voice. And clearly, and when you look through the rest of the Old Testament, often when some, a character uh, called the angel, of the angel of the Lord shows up, it's often kind of God himself coming in a form that people can kind of relate to and experience. And that seems to be what's happened. And this voice in the bush says something. First of all, the voice speaks his name twice. So Moses kind of responds and moves towards it. And then the voice says something else. It says, Stay back. Don't come any further, Moses. Steady. Now, what's that about? Well, what is this fire? Well, the fire is what you often see in the Old Testament when God shows up, gets really close, gets really involved. You see it... um we will see it again in the book of Exodus. Remember the story of Abraham. Children are looking at the story of Abraham, I think, today. There was a time when God appeared to Abraham and made a covenant. Do you remember that? And, and what Abraham saw was like this burning pot of fire. And, and, and the, there was this covenant made and so on. It was a sign that God was really close. It happened for the Israelites, as we shall see later. But in the book of Genesis, do you remember the story of the Garden of Eden? Do you remember remember what happened after the uh, humans were banished from God's presence? How were they kept from coming back? An angel with a fiery sword. It's fire that says, steady, God is holy. We can't go there because there's something wrong with us. And the voice, though, also says... You can come, but you've got to take your shoes off because this is holy. God is here, and it's just like God is saying to Moses, yeah, you can come close, but just get this. You come on my rules, my terms. Take your shoes off. There's a way you can come, but you have to come my way. God is God, as we shall see. And the voice tells him that it is God who's speaking, the God of his father, right back to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I just realized the clock says quarter to ten. And it isn't quarter to ten, is it? It's half past. So I must look at my watch. Not that clock or we're going to be here a long time, aren't we? Okay, sorry. <laughs> we must get the clock put right. Sorry, you can't see the clock, which makes it even worse, is not it? But anyway, so we should have a camera on the clock on the screen ticking in the corner. Anyway, the voice tells him that it is God. The God of his father. This God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob is speaking to Moses. The God who had already been part of history wants to encounter Moses here and now. And what does Moses do at this? It says he covers his face. He's frightened to look at God. He worships, he responds. When, what he doesn't do is what perhaps we might do, I might do, you might do, is run away. You know, I'm out of here. This is too much for me. He stays. He's responding. He wants to know this God. There's a willingness to hear him. That's faith. We saw last week, faith is about trusting God and taking action. Moses is trusting that God's not going to burn him up trusting that God is going to speak to him so he takes his shoes off and he stays there now here's the thing what do you believe about God who do you think he is our previous series on Genesis was called who do you think you are this Exodus is kind of who do you think he is because these days in our culture we have a kind of wish list for God don't we We'd like him to be all kinds of things. But when he really shows up, it's on his terms, not ours. And Moses' vague awareness becomes personal. And our vague awareness of God in the background, that distant memory may be, that... Awareness through an experience of the supernatural, as Tim said, or whatever it is that we have or our friends, our culture has, needs to be turned from that vague awareness into something personal, something that's framed by God. Because the God who is personal is interested in me. He knows my name. He knew Moses' name. He actually calls it out twice. Twice. The God who is like burning fire, the God who is holy, the God who speaks. He introduces himself, he reveals who he is. He doesn't say to Moses, hey Moses, what kind of God would you like me to be? I'll be your kind of God. And he says, I'm revealing you as the Lord as we shall see. And we need to be aware of that because that's not kind of particularly on trend in our culture at the moment, is it? Everyone wants God to be like they want him to be. God says, I'm revealing myself. There's a place to find out who I am and what I'm like. He's the God who expects me to react to who he really is, not what I'd like him to be. The one who says, steady, (laughs) come on my terms, The one who's acted in history, just like he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. And we can take the whole story on to the last person, if you like. As the book of Hebrews says, God acts in history. Who's the last one? Jesus. And if we want to know this God, he is the one who has revealed himself through his activity in history, through the Israelites in the Old Testament and in the New Testament and into the future through Jesus, his son. The king, the Messiah. That's the God that we need to get to know. Not some God we dream up. That's the only God who's going to cut it. The others are dreams, fantasies. Hope it'll be okay. Hope God will be like that if I believe enough that he is like that. What do we make of him? And in verse 6, Moses, as he hides his face, he realizes and accepts that this God is for him. And this is the God we need to get to know. The God of, I should have put that up before. Who do you think? The God of holy fire. But more than that, he is also the God of active compassion. Look at verse 7. This is what God said. I think Tim referred to it, but I'd like us to read it. I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them, and so on. Verse 9, and now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. He says, I know about their suffering. Now, the NIV says in verse um, 7, I am concerned about their suffering. I have to say, that is a terrible translation. I am con- you know, you know, if you're English, you say to someone, if you feel you really don't like something that's going on, what do you say? If you're English, you say, actually, I'm a bit concerned about so-and-so thing, don't you? Concerned is a bit of a, well, I'm a bit concerned That's not what God is saying at all. This is a word that is linked to the idea of knowing. He says, I know they're suffering. And that word in the Bible, to know, is a powerful emotional, uh, relational word. It's it's actually the word that's used of of, of a a man and a wife having sex. It's it's about that depth of knowledge and sharing and, and interaction. And God is saying, I know this. I care about this I've seen the misery I'm I'm, I'm more than I'm a bit concerned you know I'm I'm it matters to me says God he is full of of compassion he says now I've come down to rescue I want something better for my people he says he's the God who comes down who comes into suffering Does that remind you of anything? Christmas, we're celebrating the God who came down. Jesus is God who came into suffering, knew it, experienced it, had the bruises to show for it and the scars on his back and the nails in his hands and feet and so on. As he enters into the human predicament and just the evil that has overwhelmed our world. And God is moving to rescue his people. And then I gave it away a bit. He says, Oh, and by the way, <laughs> Moses, I'm going to use you. Oops. <laughs> I think if I was Moses, I might have wanted to run away at that point if I didn't before. And as we shall see, that's kind of what how Moses feels. You see, Getting to know God is all well and good, isn't it? It's fine while it's safe and theoretical, while it's about reading great books about God or experiencing awesome worship that may or may not include burning fire. I don't know. It's fantastic when it's all about learning from great teaching or wherever you get it from, how God hates evil and loves people to be rescued. But what if this God asks us to do something ourselves about it? Whoa. You know, that's why actually becoming a Christian can be quite scary. And I know some of you have become Christians and kind of, we walk with you through some of your journeys, and, and it's not something you found easy to do because you're aware that, whoa, this is God coming into my life. What? This? But that's what happens. Allowing God into my life and any act of faith, like preaching this message now, carrying on doing the job God's called me to do, walking with that person in their need, crossing the road to care for someone, sharing Jesus with someone, saying his name out loud in the office or whatever, and not in swearing or necessarily telling someone off for swearing, but genuinely saying, Yeah, Jesus is with me. It's faith, trusting God. And taking action. But let's look on secondly then to the God who moves through Moses. Because in verses at 11 onwards, verse 11, Moses uh, starts uh, asking God some pretty big questions. God invites Moses to respond and look at what he says in verse 11. Moses says, this is the first question. We're going to have to rush through these by the way, but uh, let's buckle up and go for it. Moses said, who am I that I should move, that I should go to Pharaoh? These big questions that come, it's not a bad thing, you know, to speak these questions, to have these questions. It shows actually what really matters to you. And we can bring God those questions. But hey, as Moses found out, we need to allow God to answer those questions too, in his own way, to be open to hearing what he has to say as we push on through and as we struggle with things. And I think it's a really amazing way uh, how God, as the holy, fiery, burning, holy God, um, allows Moses and goes with him through these questions. He graciously says, yeah, okay, Moses, and he deals with all of Moses' questions. So what are they? Let's go into them. Well, the first one is, who am I to do this? Who am I? There it is in verse 11. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. That's the first question. Who am I? That's a big 21st century question, isn't it? Identity. Where do we find out who we are? Is it in what we do? What we own? What other people think of us? What sex we're attracted to, male or female, depending on our own sex? Are those the things that identify us? What about Moses? He says, who am I? You can understand that. He could be thinking... Who am I? I thought I, thought I was special, God. I, I thought you'd rescued me, and I thought I was going to rescue the people. I had to go. Uh, I've, now I've been 40 years in the desert. I'm looking after these sheep. I'm here in the, the backside, the far side of the desert. God, you know, I don't know. Who am I? What, wait? You know, what, what have you got this on me for? And what does God say? God says, I will be with you. God says, you're with me. And that's who you are. That's going to be your identity. It's founded on your relationship with me. Five years ago, I guess, there was an actor called Meghan Markle. Oh, heard of her? A popular culture reference coming here. Um, She was a great actor, wasn't she? I never saw her, but I think she was on Netflix and other things I can't get on my TV. Um, And... uh, She was quite well known, but if she'd gone to Buckingham Palace, knocked on the door and said, can I come in, is it okay? I'd quite like to stay here for a bit. The answer would have been no, wouldn't it? Now, she's got the keys. Well, not quite, you know what I mean. Why? Because she married Harry. You know, now, don't take this too far, but there's this sense that she's connected to him. And... Israel, as a people, will go through this same process as Moses is going through. Interestingly, they will come back to the very same mountain on the far side of the desert where he is, and they too will get to know God there in a very special way. But that's kind of the end of the story, or the end of the first half of the story in Exodus 19. And that's like us. John 1 verse 12 says, those who received him, received Jesus, become children of God. It doesn't say it's like they become children of God. It's not, not, this is a metaphor for it says they actually have the right to actually become God's children because of Jesus. Getting to know that God is with us in Christ. As we get to that, we don't have to worry too much about who we are. It's still an important question but it kind of sits on top of a much more fundamental reality and maybe gives us the freedom to explore who we are, but based on Christ and what he's done for us. Moses has to kind of take that on trust. God says to him, the sign is that you will be back here worshipping me. Um, That's not much of a sign because (laughs) Moses won't know that it's happened until afterwards, we might think. But it's, it's, it's kind of interesting that God is saying, look, I'm with you and you can trust me, we will be back here. And you know what it says in Philippians 1 verse 8? Some had it at their baptisms. It's a good, good verse for a baptism. He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. We started with Jesus, we trusted him, we connected to him. He will bring us right through to the end we can trust him for that so then Moses asks another question and that is what shall I tell them who are you if they say who sent you well let's read it verse 13 Moses said to God suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me what is his name then what shall I tell them and then uh, Tim read those verses earlier God tells them, I am who I am. That's what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you. He's saying, who are you, God? And God says, this is who I am. I am. This is my name. Now, asking for a name in that culture and other cultures in our world today is a bit like asking for the story of the person. The name kind of contains crucial truths about the person. Uh, Any Lords of the Rings fans in the room? I'm sure there are. Uh, One of our favorite characters is um, Treebeard. No, Treebeard? The Ent. You know, the kind of tree creature. Massive kind of uh, creature uh, who who kind of moves very slowly and deliberately. It's a a wonderful character. Well, he says to one of the uh, hobbits in Lord of the Rings... Um, he uh, who asks him what his name is. This is what he says. I won't do his accent because I don't know what it was. My name is growing all the time and I've lived a very long, long time. So my name is like a story. Real names tell you the story of the things they belong to. It's that kind of idea. And God tells him, I am who I am. So tell them, that I am has, uh, I've gone too far, I am has sent you. And this is the story of the God who is speaking to them. He is constant. He is always with them. He is continually present tense. He is sufficient in himself. He needs nothing. He's like the self-burning fire, the one who remains faithful forever, the one who relates eternally because he is eternal This is the one, says God, tell the Israelites that that one, the God of their fathers, is this constant, eternally relating, faithful, uh, working God. He's sufficient. He's sovereign. He's powerful. He is always God. And you know, the Israelites are going to hear this, and they will trust that. But, says uh, God tells uh, Moses in this passage as you read it, Pharaoh isn't going to until he is compelled by what the Lord will do. So this is the God who reveals himself and intervenes in human history. And once, you know, Jesus took that name on his lips. Do you remember in John's Gospel? Is it John 8? He says, you know, he said to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders of the time, to people who were so finely tuned to theology that, you know, they were, they were kind of checking everybody believed the right things all of the time. And to those people, Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. And, you know, every, they, they picked up stones and were going to stone him. Because they understood what he was saying. Jesus Hebrews tells us the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, Moses is learning that this is not an experience brought on by the toxic fumes from a wacky bush. This is the God of the eternal presence, of endless capability, the God committing himself to keep his promises. So if he says, I will rescue you, he will. If he says, I am with you, he is. If, if he says my identity is safe with him, then I can trust him for that. I can trust him in what he says, in what he reveals, I can trust him. And as Moses is going to be involved, he's getting to know this God as the Israelites will. And as we receive all that God gives us in Jesus, so we get to know him too. Now the questions go on. He's got more questions, as you will see in chapter 4, verses 1 to 9. I've got no time for this, so you can read it later, but let me just headline them up. He says, what if they don't believe me, says Moses? Oh no, what if they don't believe me? And God kind of gives him some signs, three signs to give them. Again, you read them in verses one to nine. Not now, well, I can if, it's, if you need to, but, you know, read it later. It's, it'll, be, it'll be good. Um, he says, he Hear these three signs. He, he, has, he, he kind of says, First of all, Moses, you've got a shepherd's staff in your hand. Give that to me. Throw that on the ground. And it becomes a snake. And he picks up the snake and so on. The snake is a symbol of the ultimate power of the Pharaoh of Egypt. The Pharaoh of Egypt had a crown with a cobra around the top of it. So, it was a meaningful sign for what was going to happen, but that's coming up later. And God says, oh, don't worry if they don't believe it. I will use what you have, that with a stick. And then, then, then he does another thing. He says, put your hand in, my, in, your, in, your shed, in your cloak and bring it out again. It's covered in a vile skin disease, a deadly leprosy. And God says, put it back, and he pulls it out again. It's clean. God is saying, you know, Moses, if what's holding you back, I can clean you up. And the third thing he says is when you get to Egypt, you can take some water out of the Nile. And again, the Nile is the life force of Egypt. They worship the Nile. And and Egypt still is. Uh, Yeah, obviously we've got modern technology, but everything about Egypt depends upon that Nile. And God says, if you take some water, pour it on the ground, it'll become blood. I'm more powerful than Egypt. And so don't worry if they don't believe you. I've given you these signs. Then... Then Moses, in verses, verse 10, says something else. He says, But I can't speak. <laughs> I'm no good at public speaking, God. How do you expect me to do this? He doesn't say it in that kind of, kind of not, you know, petulant way. He kind of probably says, oh, I can't speak. And God says, don't worry. I'll help you speak. I'll teach you. I'll be with you. And then finally, in chapter 4, verse 13, he says, (laughs) which I think, is well, let me read it. So let's go from verse 10. Uh, Yeah, so Moses is much more polite than I just was to, to the Lord in verse 10. Pardon your servant, Lord. I've never been eloquent. This is on page 61, by the way. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you've spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. It's a great answer, isn't it? And then verse 13. But Moses says, Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. I mean, that's the kind of... At last, Moses is kind of being honest. And if you read the text on... Although it said, verse 14, the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Maybe the the bush crackled a bit more at that point. Um, God's reply is so gracious and kind, isn't it? Because he says, um, it's okay. Aaron is on his way. I've already got that, Moses. Aaron's coming to help you. He said, trust me, it's okay. Um, And he's very careful to say to Moses, but Moses, I know what you're like. Uh, That's my version. Um, you're to be the leader. Don't hide behind Aaron. Aaron will help you. But you're the leader. And he's going to be kind of number two. And he'll do the speaking you can't do. And that becomes quite important later in the book of Exodus as well. It comes back to this part of the story. Most of the answers are, in fact... Most of God's answers are, all of, to all of the questions are, no Moses, you can't. But I can. That's the thing, isn't it? You know, God doesn't pretend that Moses can't say, oh Moses, you're just being humble. You know perfectly well that you're a great public speaker. You'll be fine. He says, no, it's all right, I know that. But I've got it. You can't. You're right, Moses, you can't. But I can. So here's the question. Do we realize who God is? He works through people. He meets us at our reluctance. He gives us those to help us. He accepts that we can't do it, but promises to help us. He'll take care of whether people will believe us. He will use what we have. He can clean us up. He can show his great power because of who he is the great, eternal, living, constant God who is revealing himself in his activity, his word, and in the person of Jesus, his son. We can't, but he can. Are you getting to know this, God? Do you want to? Then verse 18 of chapter 4, Moses sets off then and goes, uh, starts the process of returning to Egypt. He, it's like a fresh start for him. The Lord has spoken to him. He obediently goes off. No more questions. He goes. He uh, the, um, kind of, uh, gets ready for um, the next step. He's met the Lord, revealed as holy, constant, active, intervening, faithful, powerful, and in control. And he's heads back to tell the Israelites all about this God and his promise of rescue. God is moving, and Moses is now part of it. Well, wow. that's exciting. But then, on the way to Egypt, something really strange happens. Uh, in verses 21 to 26. It's a very odd incident. And I don't have time to go into it in detail. And if I did, I've, I've read four books on you know this passage. And uh, you know all of them said, this is really different. We don't really know what it's about. So we can kind of best is to pick the bounds out of it. But let's read it uh, anyway. So uh, verse 21, the Lord said to Moses, when you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders I have given you the power to do. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. That's to Pharaoh. And at a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. But Zipporah, he's, uh, Moses, she's Moses' wife, rather, took a flint knife, cut off her son's foreskin, and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said, bridegroom of blood, referring to circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness. And then the story continues after this incident. It's a very strange incident, isn't it? What's going on? Well, first of all, the Lord speaks to Moses and gives him the big picture. And it's a picture of a head-to-head conflict. You know, that's coming between Pharaoh, who is really uh, regarded himself the god of Egypt. You know, Pharaoh was regarded as divine, like so many other ancient rulers. And there's a massive showdown coming between Pharaoh, and not Moses as the, the film. That's great for the drama in the films. But, but God, but the Lord. And there's a big conflict on the way. It's like spoiler alert there, but that's what's going to happen. And God gives Moses this big picture. And he says, Israel matters to me, Moses. Israel is like my firstborn son. And he says, I want Pharaoh to let my firstborn son Israel go so that he can worship the Lord. But Pharaoh isn't going to let him go. So God says, I'm going to kill Pharaoh's firstborn son. And spoiler alert, as we know, that's kind of what happens. Then Moses almost dies, and we don't know why. And the Hebrew, the experts say, is very, very obscure. He may have got suddenly ill, or something else might have happened. We don't know. But it seems that the reason he's kind of struck down, and it seems like the Lord is almost going to kill him, is that his son, Moses' son who had been born had not been circumcised and his wife kind of sorts that out and Moses lives it's a very strange episode now what we can say is that at that time there was a clear line it goes right through Abraham Isaac you know all the history of Israel and there was a clear line between those who were the lords and those who weren't And those who were, the way you became the Lord's and became, as it were, on the right side of the line was by circumcision. That was the the case then. And Moses had not kept to this in his own family. And suddenly this kind of comes up and Moses himself faces exclusion from everything as a result of that. Moses has to be right with God, but there's a way to put it right. He doesn't die. His wife intervenes and the the problem is sorted. Actually, just as with Egypt, there was a way for every firstborn son not to die, as we will see in that story later on. What do we learn from this? Well, a bit tentative, but first of all, I think we need to learn that boundaries matter to God. In those days, people became God's people by circumcision. And there was no exceptions. Now today, you don't belong to God that way. That's not the way. But there is still a clear boundary between those who belong to the Lord and those who don't. And now that boundary is set not by circumcision, but by trusting in Jesus. comes back to Jesus again. Because he's done everything for us escape judgment there's a way to be right with God just as Moses could then so we can now through Jesus but if we don't come his way if we turn our back on what he's done for us in Jesus then we will face judgment one day and maybe there's another little thing here with regard to Moses to make sure that we don't carry on deliberately sinning as we follow Jesus, we've got to leave it behind. Moses hadn't in this instant. He hadn't done what God had commanded him to do in the matter of circumcising his son. And it was serious. And sin in our lives, or disobedience, or disregarding God's truth, God's law, can have very serious consequences actually especially if you're a leader like moses was we can be judged now if we don't leave sin behind but look at how it all ends moses puts it right or his wife does and he he's fine he returns to egypt it's almost like that's one of the funny things about the thing you know there's this horrendous incident and then um the next thing you read verse 27 aaron comes out to meet him and You know, the Israelites believe, and I was going to say they all live happily ever after, but that's not quite. Uh, You'll find out what happens next week. They believe the Lord. They worship him. Moses has known God moving towards him, moving through him. He's had a scary realization of the holiness of God moving against him because God's so passionate that we are holy But he's been put right. You know, we can too. If we're deliberately sinning, the Bible says we confess our sins, he will forgive us our sins, and he will cleanse us. We come to him. It's not the end of the story. And for Moses, it was put right so that he can get in the right place with God to live for him. So, let's be getting to know God better. The God who moves towards us. If you're not a Christian, he's moving towards you. Why not? receive him welcome him into your life turn from your own way of living and trust in jesus find out more if you want to pray with somebody come down here afterwards and pray with someone or talk more join an alpha course or have a conversation or a cup of coffee find out more and for the rest of us let's get to know the god who works with us and through us and let's remember who he is Let's know him in our lives this week for his glory. Amen. Tim. Or band the band now. I think we're gonna just carry on in, 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 in worship in song. So if you want to just be praying and responding, thinking through, asking God what he's saying to you, well let's use that opportunity as we continue in his presence.